Hello, hello, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Tula Sizwe, and this is Tula You Talk Too Much, the podcast where I talk too much, and it's absolutely okay. And before you guys judge me, I know how cheesy that tagline is. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to keep it. Should I keep it? Hello, folks. Uh, this is the podcast where I talk too much, and it's absolutely okay. I know it's bullshit, but I, I don't have anything better. I'll come up with something better. But, um... How are you guys doing? Are you guys are you guys okay? Did you did you come alright with that thing? Did you did you get your results, your school results? Did you pass the exam? Did you get the job offer? Did you get the interview offer? Did you did you send that message to that person that's troubling you, finally standing up to yourself? Did you send the message to the colleague? Did you finish the project? Did you what what else do people do? Did you send your kid off to school? the school that you wanted to send them off to? Did you finally make plans for the new year and have you started or did you procrastinate? Uh, are, you, are you staying on? Are you keeping on with your new year resolutions? What's going on with you guys? I hope you're okay. I hope you, you're doing your best. I hope you're trying. I hope you are. I hope you're doing your best. That's all any of us can hope for. Um, that's what January, I think I like. I mean, people don't like uh, January People don't like Mondays. People don't like, you know, those kind of slow days. But I don't know. I like the idea of January and and Monday. I mean, I may not always like them when I'm in them, but I like what they represent. They represent a new beginning, a fresh start. They represent um, a blank slate for us to try, right? And that's all any of us can do. We can try. So I hope you guys are trying. I hope you guys are doing well. Welcome to the podcast once again. I don't know if it's because of the new year, um, but I've been thinking a lot about that concept of trying, of of putting yourself out there and just, you know, and just trying. And I haven't been thinking about it necessarily philosophically um, as in for, for people, for humanity as a group, but I've been thinking about it for myself specifically, which is which is another thing I'm trying to do more of these days to say, all the things that I think about, I try to put myself at the center of it so that my perspective is driving my perspective is driving the direction of my life, if that makes sense. And it's not just me thinking of something that broadly applies to humans or that I think apply to humans and then try to fit into that narrative. So I'm trying to to rear everything to be is that the right word? Rear. Uh, I'm trying to to bend everything to work and to fit me, to fit my life and my narrative. So I've been trying to think about the concept of trying for me, you know, in my con- my context. I'm a stand-up comedian, you know, and that kind of, um, that work, that profession is a lot of trying. But the weird thing that I've noticed with uh, stand-up comedians particularly, I don't know about other artists, but I think stand-up comedians have realized that we have a, our whole job is just trying. We're just trying jokes. It's just trying things and hoping that they work. But I've realized that we are all very casual about the idea of trying, almost as if we're embarrassed by trying. So every time you see like another comedian who is like, oh, now this guy is now on TikTok. He's trying out videos because he's trying to 
to grow his audience so he can sell maybe tickets and all of that there's always an air of 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 i don't know there's a weird air of that to be like oh i see you you you're doing this almost like it's embarrassing and but that is trying that is what we're all trying to do and it seems like it's hard and it's it's hardly accepted to try if your trying is not aesthetically pleasing you know what i mean like there's people that try in a way that is aesthetically pleasing in that it looks good it's like this person is trying but it looks effortless it doesn't look like they are trying as as opposed to the rest of us where we try but it's it's clumsy it's it's all over the place which is what i think originally that's what trying is i mean this podcast itself is me trying it's me trying to put myself out there trying to put my thoughts out there trying to hopefully grow my audience as well and find my people hopefully it, it, it may be fair it may fail <laughs> that's the thing about trying is that just by saying that you are trying you are acknowledging the possibility of failure you know and and that's that's my problem with um because i've heard motivational speakers all the, all the time being like no there's no trying there's only doing you must not try you must only do and i'm like yeah maybe that works with certain people but it does not work with me because i'm constantly aware of the possibility of failure and i used to think that was a a bad thing i need to remove but i'm realizing now that there is a strength to that there is a, a strength and a positivity to being aware of the possibility of failure because you like failure is a part of life you shouldn't be aware of failure to a level where it drives your behavior like failure shouldn't be you shouldn't operate from a place of fear in that way to be like that's how you make your decisions um that's how you move in relationships that's how you move professionally you make decisions based on what may go wrong what may fail that's bad but failure as a constant that exists or rather the possibility of failure it's okay for it to be there if you are still making decisions from a place of optimism from a place of love from a place of you know hoping for better things hoping that it will come all right i have more respect for someone who is aware that they may fail who is aware that there is a possibility of failure and they still do the thing anyway they still try anyway as opposed to someone who has managed to i don't know to bring themselves to a place in their mind where it's like this i could never fail or because maybe they have the resources for it or they have the know-how or whatever for whatever reason that person cannot fail i've i mean that's fine that's all good and well i don't i don't disrespect that person but i don't actively have any high respect for them i'm i'm indifferent to that person that person is not interesting to me i'm more interested in the scenario where there is a chance of failure or rather high possibility of failure and you still leap forward anyway because it feels like that's what life is every moment every turn could be something that harms you but we still choose to do it you know we choose to still go into relationships we still choose to try like we still choose to try and that's that's what life is and it's not new it's an old concept um now that i'm thinking about it i i remember like i remember one of the most inspiring stories of trying that i read uh, i think i was either late primary school or high school have you guys read this the battle of isanlon like the the part of the anglo american war um is it anglo 
Anglo-British war, yeah, because it was between uh, the Zulus and British people. Because you see now, when we think about um, colonization and the British coming to, to colonize us in South Africa, I don't know, there's an idea that we have that South Africans just let it happen. Like like it was fun, we were just chilling and they came, you know that story that they showed the mirror and we were like, oh, this is the mirror. And then we picked the mirror and gave them free reign over our land. But that's not true. Like, that's not true. There was a lot of trying that happened on our side to make sure that we keep our land, we keep our freedom, we keep our independence. Um, but of course, it did not pan out. It did not work out well because they had superior weapons. They had superior resources and artillery and all of that. And they were just willing to go to, like, inhu levels of inhumanity that um, black people and South Africans probably we're not considering that we're possible because we've always been a people of ubuntu and all of that so there's certain tactics that you need to employ in war where you go up to a certain level and i feel like we were not aware that people could go to that level and enslave other people and do all that like i remember reading the battle of isandlon and the effort that um, um the zulus put in in fighting that and i was like, my mind was blown. So, I I don't know if you guys know this, but Isandlwana is a place in KZN, right? So, and then the, the first invasion, when the British first came, they went to occupy Isandlwana and, and they sat there and, you know, planning to invade. Of course, they were going to take um, everything. They had their weapons. They were going to go and fight the Zulus. That's what they'd been doing. They'd go invade and then fight the people, kill them off, and then colonize the space. So that's what they were going to do. And that they've been, they had been doing that successfully in Canada and all of these places. I'm not a historian, so I don't know the specific places. And then, so as they were there, um, and then one time they were just chilling in their camp, still about to attack. And they just saw a herd of people, a large group of people. And it was the Zulu people attacking them, um, you know, just coming at them with everything that they had with far inferior weapons. Um, actually, no weapons because they had only the spears and the shields, you know, which were very effective. But come on, that versus a gun, it's its its nothing. It's not even a match. Um, but they still won, just to cut the long story short, they still won that entire battle. And it was interesting, the aftermath of the battle when... The British were trying to analyze why they lost because so there were conflicts at that time in Britain because there were two factions. There was one faction that was very pro-war, pro-colonizing other places and fighting that. Then there was another faction that was like, no, we should not do that. So it was not yet in policy, in British policy to go and, and for the government to provide resources and money and people to go and colonize other places and fight them and all of that because war costs money so they it was not yet um, um um in their policy to provide money for that and then so the zulus defeating the british in that way led to um led to such national embarrassment and and just national embarrassment for the british which were very proud people i guess they still are which were very proud people that and and it was hard for them to take in that they were defeated by people who did not have weapons um um weapons at least that are as superior as they had by people who did they did not consider 
humans that are at their stature, humans that are at their level, by people that they did not consider smart, people they did not consider could ever even breathe the same air with them, those people defeated them in a very embarrassing way, like they had no chance. They had no chance at all the way they suffered that defeat and they had to report back to their their nation. And then it was so bad, that defeat was so bad and embarrassing that they changed into policy. It motivated the government uh, in, in Britain to actually put it... Um, to actually put it in their policy to to give money, to give resources for the British to go and colonize. And then, of course, they came back. We all know what happened. They came back, um, still part of the Anglo... Um, I keep forgetting if it's it's it's, it's the Zulu-Anglo war, I think. Anglo-Zulu war, something like that. They came back and, of course, they defeated us. It's because now it was a whole bunch of them with whole more weapons and money and resources and we were just us you know but that concept of them trying because the Zulu people could have just given up from the first start and I think on the second uh when they came back the second invasion it was more than 7,000 people 7,000 Zulu people that died it was very horrible but the fact that they still fought that much and it was still that hard to defeat them in the in the con in the face of such certain it was certain defeat you know, but they still fought. And there's a part of us that dismisses all of that, all that they did that time. We're like, yeah, you know, they just came and took, I don't know, we have an image in our head that um, the British just came and everyone was just chilling. No, they fought. They tried. And we have to, we can't erase that. We have to give them that credit. So this is an, an, an ode to trying. This is an ode to try. If you're not motivated by anything today, be motivated by the old Zulu people, by the old South Africans, the black people of South Africa who fought against certain defeat, but they still tried. And because of that, even though now we are still reeling from the consequences of that colonization that, you know, is still present in our society today, but we have that memory. Well, not a memory, but we have that record that they fought uh, and that they even won to some extent. We have that as part of our national pride. Uh, for us to know that we can also fight um, other things as well that seem bigger than us. And we may win or we may not win, but we'll know that we have fought and that will be enough for us to live with ourselves. So again, this is an ode to try. You know, I wish there was a way for me to to communicate with the people who are listening to this podcast, like as in have live communication where I get um, feedback. Because um, I have some questions sometimes I want to ask, but I'm like, how do I, without it being a long drawn out process of me creating a poll or anything like that. So I don't know if you guys want me, if you guys would be interested in that, um, in, in me creating a means for us to, to talk for me to ask questions and you know to hear you guys thoughts on stuff to ask you some questions um not questions about the podcast necessarily but just to have a chat with you guys just let me know if that would be something you're interested in you can just let me know on instagram at tula sees where sitola comedy i think that's my instagram um just let me know send me a message if you've you've reached um this point in the podcast and let me know um if if you would like that's something that you'd be interested in um yeah that would that would be cool that would be really cool uh moving on from that um 
I uh, I have been plagued, plagued, what a dramatic word, um, uh, by the thoughts of, um, I've just been thinking about space as well, like, um, like taking space, I guess, which is, I mean, I hear that a lot um, all the time, you know, I usually hear it from it's alongside those posts you know those the posts that women make i like the women that i'm becoming uh w take up space like i i see it along those posts and it's just one of those slightly cringe things to hear but just out of nowhere it's something i've been thinking about and um just thinking about myself and 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 like the space i occupy and how much space i want to occupy and how i want that to manifest to others because obviously there's a gap between your perception of the space that you occupy and how other people receive that you know um i mean i just spoke about the the, the british and zulu war now in in british in the british mind they were just occupying space <laughs> they were just being motivated it was a new year i think that war happened it was january if not if i'm not mistaken it, they were motivated to occupy space. It was a new year for them. They were following their resolutions. But on the Zulu side, they were fucking us over. So that's what's happening. So there's there's two sides to you occupying space. Because the space that you're in, there's probably other people in that space. And there's definitely people that need to be kicked off that space. That you do need to make uncomfortable by occupying space. But there is maybe such a thing as taking up too much space. Or is there? I don't know. It feels like there is. There might be. Um, there might be, you know. Because I, I know, like, I grew up... Um, you know, I grew up with my parents, my mother and father. And, you know, my father is a, is a great person. Like, oh my goodness, one of the best fathers. My friends know I'm always talking about him. Um, but my father occupied a lot of space growing up, which I feel like maybe might have been the case for most, you know, most Nguni... Uh, black fathers they occupy a lot of space in the house to the point where it's like it's not good there's a lot of times where it didn't feel good it feels like he occupied like so much space where there was little left for everyone else you know and it would manifest i mean there's like there's certain things where it's like when your father is in the house you can tell that your father is in the house you know, when your father is in the room, if you're all watching TV, because usually you'd be off at work, you know, um, when I, when I was growing up, I think I was around maybe my early teens, not even teens, maybe around 11, you know, my father got a, a job at Rustenburg. So we lived in Joburg. And so he worked at Rustenburg, which was about three hours away, like a three hour drive away. So he'd be there like during the weekend he'd come back very late at night so we, we barely saw him then we'd see him over the weekend you know and so like on those times when he was home on the weekends and then we were all sitting maybe it's it's 8 p.m we're watching tv whatever you could feel that he's in the room and again this is not like it like it wasn't my father's a humorous person like his so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a bad thing but there was a, a tenseness that as kids you have because he is a, a Nguni father and he's very strict. And, you know, to some extent, we were scared of him, you know, um, and not not maybe not maybe not scared of him as a person, 
but scared of the beatings we could inflict. <laughs> because, you know, we grew up being those kids, like, we'd get beaten. And my father, my mother never beat us. It was always like, hey, I'll tell your father, you know, things like that. So that the mother remained the good. I mean, now that I think about it, it's a great parenting system where you 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 leave out all the, the blame, not the blame, but all the the harsh the harsh discipline and the beating if you decide to beat your kids to one parent and then there's the other parent that is the trusted um, uh, advisor such that when things go bad there's always that one parent you can always talk to and be vulnerable to while the other one keeps you in line i think that's how most black families uh, with two with two parents were set up so um so my father was that the disciplinarian and it was yeah, man, it felt like he occupied a lot of space. Like, there'd be moments where you'd see him, like, coming. I'd see his car, like, coming up from, like, far from the corner. And then I'd run home, like, to tell my sister, like, yo, yo. Because it was just my sister and I. I do have a younger sister, but she wasn't born or she was a child, whatever. So it was my sister and I. I have my sister. We, like, uh, a year or two apart. So we basically grew up like twins together. So I'd run to the house and tell him, oh, father is coming. Like he's got, and then we need to check if everything's okay in the house. And I'd run home. It's not like I did something wrong. I'll just go and then we check everything is fine. And you tried to occupy as less space as you could because he was occupying so much space. So like you wouldn't talk as much. Um, I actually realized that I, in my father's mind, we are probably different kids or different people than we actually are in real life because maybe my father knows me as a person who doesn't talk as much and now i have a podcast literally called tula you talk too much because that's how i am with my friends and in spaces i'm comfortable in and you know he like he doesn't i mean my my sister like i respect her she came to very early and just had a very rebellious phase you know where she she said fuck it to everything and just started living her life <laughs> and it was the wildest thing ever sometimes she'd, she'd go and not come back the whole day and she'd come back late and she'd get shouted at and you know but nothing bad just typical teenage rebellion and i never had that i never went through i was always the model child you know the child who in school was was like doing well and and I accidentally fell into the trap of being like a role model, a model child, which I hated, you know. I don't know if I hated it as much as the child, but I hate it now looking back actively. I think I did dislike it then, but now I realize how much I hated it um, being that child because it's a prison that you build for yourself, which is such a weird thing that if you behave well, in a home where there's another kid or other kids that are behaving in an unruly way and they're constantly getting disciplined and you are the only one who's like you know doing things okay getting all the awards in school and doing all that you inadvertently build yourself a prison um a prison of perception where you put yourself in this box where other parents are like oh look at this guy look at the tool like you you should be like him the teachers oh you should be like too like he doesn't do this he doesn't do that where else you want to do all this other stuff that they do 
you just don't know how to because you've put yourself in this box where if you come home an hour late if you don't submit to one assignment it feels like you don't have the grace to mess up it feels like everyone is like what what's going on with you i remember this when i started dating in high school and i saw my teacher who had been my teacher i think in grade eight i can't remember when was this when i was dating and then i bumped into her i hadn't seen her in a long time and she was like yeah when i told i heard that you are now dating you are now part of the other people like in a bad way she was basically saying i'm no longer the same person i'm now a bad child and i remember that bothering me for so long um because my grades were fine like i was still like top i was still one of the top students in school i was still doing very well i was still a very disciplined kid i wasn't doing anything wild i was just dating but because i built myself a prison of perception where i was like i'm the kid who doesn't do all that stuff you know it was like i was i was being forced i was being pinned against the wall by the perception that i created um that i created not intentionally because i was just a child i was just being myself um i was just having no urges to do the wild stuff but i realized that oh shit you have more freedom if you just become a kid and you live wild you know because then when you you don't do that stuff the 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 older people appreciate you more because i remember when like my sister would like get i don't know she'd get like average marks in school and all of that and it would be like a celebration like oh nice whatever meanwhile i was bringing home distinctions and it felt normal like it felt you know when my sister passed him a trick it was like nice it was like a big thing uh, because i guess there was a possibility that it might not have happened whereas i brought home distinctions and i was going to uct and all of that in my trick and it felt okay it felt expect it was okay dude sure you study 24 hours a day of course this was going to happen and as a child like so it feels like that's what's expected of you like you are a machine and that's just how it's going to be and you know i was scared of breaking out of that box because i was scared of maybe not being liked anymore and you know this is part of when you grow up in that kind of strict home also in a religious um home especially where your father is the pastor it's it's you get to that point where because you are the 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 model kill ways like you need to live this way to get the approval of god so that you know you like there's certain things that you need to live by and you're always looking for approval from everyone else like am i living the way i'm supposed to be living the way everyone else thinks i should be living and you put yourself in that box you know um that people other people put you in the box and you accept that box and you just live within it and then you're scared to leave that box because you're scared people are going to dislike you you know and that's where i mean i'm a big people pleaser i mean i think i'm better now i think there's people that have made me that would probably be like oh you're not a people pleaser which is great i want that because it means i've worked on it such that it doesn't it's not always obvious But yeah, I I grew up like being a big people pleaser. That's where I guess the comedy thing started where I was just always trying to be funny, just always trying to be, you know, yeah, just always have to had to have the best sense of humor because it was the only way for me to sort of also diffuse situations because being a people pleaser means you also hate confrontation. And it's weird to hate confrontation when you are the big kid because I was a big kid. 
and when you're a big kid, it's expected for you to have confrontations. And I remember there'd be times where my sister now in primary school I told you my sister is very rebellious. Like I love her so much. She's so rebellious. Like she inspires me. She's so rebellious and lives her truth. Does not give a shit what anyone thinks, which is the opposite of me. And then, so in primary school, that like if anyone fucked with us or someone would fuck with me, and I knew I could take that person on physically. But I was just not a confrontational person and I had anxiety, you know, I was that kid. And then she would intervene and sometimes even beat up that person, boy or girl, does not care. And then I'd feel so embarrassed and I'd be so mad at her and then we'd fight because she would beat me up as well. Well, not beat me, we'd fight. But she felt like she was the only one who could do that to me and no one else could and she'd get so overprotective and I had to stop telling her that someone did something to me because I would tell her, not that I'm I'm reporting to her. We're just catching up. You know, we're kids. You're like, yo, this and this happened. And we're in the same school. So obviously you spread around and should go to that person and fuck them up. So my sister was my angel, basically. And so, because uh, I was scared of doing anything like weird that would have me not liked or to have people think I'm being rebellious, which was ridiculous because as a child, that's what you need to be. As a child, you need to be rebellious. You need to stand up for yourself. But I didn't learn to stand up for myself until way later in life. And of course, I'm still learning that even now. And it gets harder when you're older because now you're in the workspace. And it's harder to even stand up for yourself in the workspace. You could hear that, okay, this colleague is bullshitting you or they doing whatever. Or maybe you're being low-balled in your, in your salary. But it's hard for you to stand up for yourself because as a kid... You were conditioned that you need to stay in a box. You need to be good. And that way, God will like you. God likes kids who are her, who are what, seen and not heard. Um, that's, that's just how you are. That's what a good Christian kid is like. And that's the mentality that I grew up with. And so I've, I've been thinking about that to be like, how do I reverse that and occupy space, like in my own personal capacity, in my own world? But at the same time, I still don't want to take up so much space that the people around me feel like they can't breathe, like they have to tiptoe around me, um, such that my kids, my wife eventually, they feel like they have to tense up when I'm around because I'm taking up that much space in a way that makes them tense. How do I balance those two? So I've been trying to figure that out. So um, if you guys have figured it out, if you guys have, have sort of, like you in your 20s and you've sort of figured out how to balance the two let me know send me a message on instagram and then i'll read it here on the next podcast i'd be interested to know how you guys are navigating that um before i sign off i just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast i have so much more exciting things planned um there's gonna be merch at some point i'm gonna start video um I think in the coming week, I think it's possible that the next podcast might be in video format. Of course, there'll still be the audio on Spotify, but um, there's a lot of exciting things that I've planned and I'm, I'm just betting on myself and trying to scale this. Um, and just, yeah, thank you for, for, for engaging, for, for watching, uh, for listening. And yeah, thank you very much. Um, I'd like to, to hang out, man. Just send me a message um follow me on social media and yeah see you guys around see you on the next episode hopefully it's gonna be in video format but no promises cheers have a good week enjoy the rest of your monday <laughs>